0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: God will also forgive us. And I really like that, that God will forgive us. Let's look at that passage, will you? Follow along. It says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Well, the big question is, is who is God's elect? Will it be all of you who have trusted Christ to save you? You're in part of his forever family. And so because of that, he says that there's no charge that's going to come against you. And I, I love that verse, that I know that God is going to be with me and that God is at the same time going to forgive me. Many years ago, I was in a church with a pastor who was really big on trying to raise money, and he he kept hammering away at the people. And I, I, I was kind of low man on the totem pole. And he kept saying it this way. You're never more like God than when you're giving. And he loved to say that. And he'd all talk about how much God would give. God would give. And you would never more like God than when you're giving. I don't know that I would ever buy that fully theologically. I think we're more like God when we are generous. I think that's important. But I don't know we're never more like God. I think we're, we're more godly. But I'd rather look at it this way. I'm probably most like God, not so much when I give, as much as when I look at people that are in a broken state in their life and I'm willing to pour upon them true forgiveness. I want you to think about the people who've come against you, the people who have really hurt you. I think perhaps maybe you're never more like God than when when you have all that opposition. And in turn, what you do is you release them and you let them back to God. And so you're never more like God than, yeah, when you're giving, but also when you're forgiving. I like that phrase justified. you know what that means? That means you're declared righteous. That means as if you came into the courtroom and you did something wrong, but someone else took it for you. And what the judge did is he took his gavel and he hit it on the desk and he said, not guilty. I can only imagine what it would be. I wonder how many of you might be listening to me today that might've been in a situation where that you knew that you did some things wrong, but somehow you were given that little bit of grace and they said to you, you know what, we're not holding that against you, not guilty. Even that does not compare to the fact that God says to you, you're not guilty. There's a good possibility that some of you are here today and you are looking forward to hear that loud sound from God when his gavel hits the desk and says to you, I know you sinned. I have paid your sin debt. I look at you now. I totally forgive you of that, past, present, and future. The big sins, the little sins, you're forgiven of it all, and therefore, he says to you, not guilty. Now, if you want to think about who that might be, you could look at a couple of people. One would be, as Jesus was up on the cross, he looked at all those people that were brutalizing him and even betting for his clothes that he had, and he looks down upon them, and what does he say to the Father? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I don't believe that that was a full judicious forgiveness where that means that all those people, they had their sins forgiven and they went to heaven. I do believe that it was at a time that the Lord was expressing that forgiving nature that he had to these people. But here's what he did do, though. There were two thieves on the cross. They were there because they were malefactors. They had done things that were wrong. They did deserve to be up there. They were convicted of their sin. And one of them looked to Jesus and had the right spirit and basically simply said... You're the son of God. You're the one who is dying in pain for sin. You're the one who doesn't deserve to be up here. Essentially, you're perfect. We're not. And Jesus then then looks at him. And in that same spirit of, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He then says to this person, Today you will be with me in paradise. And so as I look at that, I want you and I to really for a moment enjoy that moment where God says to us, I forgive you of everything you've done wrong. And you now are part of my forever family. So as I look at that, I say, what, is, what fear has overcome in my life? The fear of accusation. The fear of the fact that I might have done something wrong, but now God says I've forgiven you. Let's look at the fourth one here. The Bible says God will not condemn us. God will not condemn us. I don't have to unpack this too much because we spent a lot of time with this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when I began at the beginning of it, of, of chapter 8. But it says here, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. I love that. The death and the resurrection. That is the gospel. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Oh, that is so special. If you remember how the chapter begins, it says, who is he that condemns you? Jesus Christ who died, more than, we, more than that was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God. He also intercedes for us. I love that. He condemned sin in sinful man. He didn't condemn sinful man. He condemned sin in sinful man. No condemnation. Do you feel a little condemned? Have you been in an environment where you felt someone was condemning you for something you said or didn't say, condemning you for an attitude that you had or didn't have, condemning you for an action that you did or didn't do, and you felt really condemned, really marginalized? Some of you might feel that in the world of work. You might have had a very horrific boss, male or female, and was really condemned for the things that you did, and great judgment was placed upon you, tremendous control was put over you, and you were marginalized in a horrific way. Some of you might have experienced the condemnation away from work, but you grew up in a home where that most of the conversation coming out of the mouths of your parents were where they put you down. When they looked at all the A's that you did, and they saw the B, and they condemned you for the B that you made because you didn't do something the way they wanted you to do. And you feel in your heart this condemnation. Some of you have had it so much ingrained in us that we might look at God now and think that God is nothing more than a condemner. Just remember John chapter 3 that says, Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that through him the whole world might be saved. We are already condemned because we haven't trusted Christ. But he says, I want to release you from that condemnation so there is now no more condemnation if you'll trust Jesus Christ, me, he says, himself, as your Savior. You're taken out of that condemnation. I think that's so important because some of you that live under condemnation, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ, he loves you. He cares for you. He says, you'll never lose your salvation. You can have the assurance of my love. You can be set free never to be back into that kind of bondage again. But you have to believe this is truth for you and me. So how can you know that you're not condemned? Well, there's four areas. It's all in the context. You could write them down if you want to. Mark them. Find them. It says Jesus died for you. We all know that. We're celebrating his birth. But you can't have a dead Savior who then rises again from the dead unless he's born. And so that's why we celebrate his birth. So Christ died for you. Number two, Christ lives for you. Now, I like that because Christ now lives in me the hope of glory Colossians chapter 1 but he also lives for me which means as I now live the exchanged life and I allow the holy spirit through Christ now to live that life out for me he is now going to live my christian life and so now I rely upon him to do that number 3 Jesus sits at the right hand of God for me he's at the right you wonder what happened when he rose again from the dead he went right up to heaven he then sat down at the right hand of the father when it was all over and he's now saying that I have connectivity to the Father. I'm sitting on the side with authority. And together, the Father and I are one. And then, number four, Jesus intercedes and he prays for us. I really love that. The fact that I know that when I have a particular need, that I have an advocate in heaven who's the best attorney that I'll ever have, that whenever there may be a railing accusation, at least the kind that would say that Stan doesn't deserve to go to heaven, he's a sinner. That I have Jesus up in heaven saying, you know what, he is a sinner, but that sin's been paid for by Jesus Christ. Now let me pause for a moment because some of you might be thinking right now that if you don't have any condemnation, that means you can go out and live as you please and there are no consequences. I want you to know that, and this is, I mean, this is just, it's it's a law, all right? You reap what you sow, okay? When I plant corn, I don't get grapes, okay? It's a law. And so when I... plant seeds to my flesh i'm going to get those kind of results so there are going to be consequences so some of you that think okay all i got to do is i live as i please and i go to the lord i trust him as my savior and my whole life turns out to be all wonderful again No, there are some some wonderful things that'll happen but at the same time there are consequences that you're going to have to live through and that only makes sense Here's a criminal who commits a murder. He goes to jail, and while he's in jail, there's a godly chaplain who explains the gospel clearly to him. He comes to know Christ as Savior. He gets involved in some um, uh, uh, prison Bible studies. They don't automatically let him go. He still has to live those consequences. Now, some of you, as a Christian, you might think you too can get away with it. You really can't. Let's say, for example, that here, this pulpit up here, and uh, I have a bad day, and I'm really upset. I don't even know why. I can't even this is the illustration. And I took a, a nail here, and I took a hammer, and I started to hammer a nail into this pulpit. And after I'm done, I'm realizing that nail's in the way. I really shouldn't have done that. A beautiful thing like this, people are going to see this. And I marked up something that didn't need to be marked up. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. So now I'm sorry. So now I try to take care of the problem, and I apologize for it. You forgive me. God forgives me. I take the nail out. Okay, the nail is out. I can do all I can to putty up that hole, sand it up, might even spray some things over it, but I will never put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So even though there's no condemnation, that does not mean there is no consequences. And I imagine if I would have the microphone and we could speak today, most of you would say, you are really right. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that nothing I've done in the past nor could do in the future will keep me out of heaven, but I am still going to live with the earthly consequences of it and sometimes they're going to be horrific and maybe a little catchphrase for some of you to remember is this you cannot sow your wild oats and then later on pray for crop failure i know it's a little humorous but there are some people that get into this thing and then they want god to get them out of it and they don't want to face the consequences so we do choose to live a righteous life not to get into heaven not so we can keep our salvation but as a way to say thank you to the lord And so it doesn't mean that there's no more condemnation or consequences. But it does mean that that we will have consequences. So what do I fear? My fear is gone that I have to worry about being condemned any longer. I don't have that. Some of you, you want to say, who do I think about? In Scripture, I couldn't think of a better person than the Apostle Paul. For in his unsaved days, it said he was a blasphemer, which means he spoke evil of Christians and especially God. It talked about him being injurious, which means that he would inflict injury on other people. It also says that he was one that was violently angry in the context of the Greek. So here's a man who spoke evilly... He had an attitude of anger, and he let it fly to other people, and it manifested in himself that when there were Christians nearby, he would haul them off into jail to have God knows what happen to those people. And then if when someone was executed, like Stephen was, who was a Christian, while he might not have thrown the rock, although we don't know that, we do know he held the cloaks and the clothes of those who did kill him. And yet out of all, all of that, here's what he said, no condemnation. He wrote it in Romans, but it's now said again, to First Tim, in First Timothy to Timothy. He says this, I thank Christ Jesus who enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Let me pause. That means some of you that are carrying incredible baggage, when you go to the Lord and you trust him as your savior, and then you give him your life as a believer, I want you to know that there is tremendous hope of a future for you in ministry. You can be mightily used of the Lord. Paul was just such a person. It goes on to say, he'd count me worthy to be in ministry because he counted me faithful. Although I was formerly a blasphemy, persecutor, insolent man, but I obtained mercy, that's the key, because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ. And this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. I love this, catch it. I got this mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ, might show all long-suffering, because I was such a sinner for so long, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul was not condemned because he received the mercy and grace through the long-suffering of Jesus on him, because now Paul became an object lesson to you and me of a God who says to Paul, No condemnation. And so you and I can live a life with no condemnation and we can look to Paul as our model as one once we trust Christ as our Savior. So I want you to know, live free for the Lord. Live free knowing that that sin is gone and you don't have to live under the guilt any longer. So, your fear of condemnation is gone. And I want to end with the fifth one and that is that God will never leave us. God will never leave us. It's a long passage. It says so much in it already so it doesn't need to be... um, explain much but here's what it says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation do it are you going through tribulation or distress are you distressed right now persecution famine nakedness peril or sword and he's quoting now from the psalmist when he writes for your sake we are killed all day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am persuaded and that word means convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities which mean godly ones or enemies nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, that means even things I don't know about, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing or being, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now look up here for a moment. What the passage does not say anywhere is that once you become a Christian, none of those things will happen to you. All you've got to do is read through scripture, read through the missionary biographies, go to Hebrews chapter 11. They will help That will happen to you. Here's what won't happen to you. No matter what happens to you, God will never stop loving you. Now, I don't know if you had a parent that at times when they got so angry with you, they said such things as, I wish you were dead. I wish you weren't in our family. I wish you were never born. I hate you. Now, some of you, when I even say that, it makes you nauseous because you remember that it's bringing back these flashbacks of voices and faces and anger. And then the repercussions that came, maybe you were slapped or hit or locked up or something happened to you. Again, that is not our God. That is nothing more than a manifestation of the influence of the greatest enemy, Satan. But the greatest example of love is the Lord. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That I really love you. Now, by the way, knowing that God loves you so much gives you the strength to move forward to love the unlovely because now you don't need their love. So you don't get it from them? No big deal. You can live without it. If you don't get the consistent love from the people you love and invested in because they're having bad days or they've got a problem and they're not loving you back the way you want it, the amount you want it, when you want it, If they're not giving it back to you, that's okay. Because you're not separated from his love. His love is now taking care of every need you have in your life, including filling you with that. You have the nature of his love. So now you can do like Jesus. Look to those who are your enemies and love them. You can also look to those who are loving you, but then stop loving you, or they're very um, unstable and inconsistent in their love. It's okay because you can still love them. Because you have the love of the Father. And I pray that you remember that so there's no more fear of you ever being separated from the love of God. And may I tell you this, what's more important is not for you to try to manipulate or intimidate your enemies to love you back and to kowtow to them, to get them to like you or love you. Nor is it for you to use intimidation or manipulation to get those people to stabilize and love you and think you're so great. What is important is this, is that know that God loves you, believe it, and be satisfied. And I hope that would be the case because once you have that, then you're now on the road to the most beautiful relationship with the Lord because that's where intimacy with God is at. That gives you the fuel now to march out into this world and to be able to manifest the character of Christ, of loving these people to Christ, by being bold in your witness, by your life and by your lips so that other people can come to know Christ as Savior. That gives you the assurance that no matter what happens, these five truths have come to you, and you will never lose your salvation, and you have the assurance of God saying, I love you, and nothing you do and nothing happens to you will ever separate you from my love. That's good news. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and give you a moment or two just to enjoy the Lord, think about what He's done for you, the promises that He's made to you and me in the Word, I want you to take your life and all of its issues that you have this last week and the things that brought pain to you, the things that caused you to question the time that you felt that you are in a deep valley and the rocks were falling on you. I want you to take that to the Lord right now and begin to celebrate the fact that in Christ you now are really free. You may still be locked into that contract, that covenant whether it's in business or a house or a car or debt or a relationship. You can't get out of that, but you still can live free with your head held high, with the fullness of God and ability now to look at all of those issues and be able to, with God's help, address each one of them to the glory of God. But for all of that to begin to take place, it's going to take someone who's man enough, woman enough, boy enough, girl enough, to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've tried to... Well, first of all, I made wrong choices that got me into a lot of my problems. A lot of my opposition has come from my choices and things that I brought on myself. And Lord, I, 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 I'm I, a sinner. I get so down, so discouraged. I want to give up. I want to quit. My anger comes up. I want to marginalize people. I want to retreat. I want to, I want to cocoon. Lord, I... I I doubt you. I doubt where I'm at. I'm I'm afraid of the future. And Lord, Lord, I I don't know what's going to happen. Just tell the Lord that. He knows all about it. And He says, I want to take your life, your broken life, and now I want to put it back together again and make something beautiful of it. But He says, you've got to go by way of the cross. So as you're talking to the Lord now, I want you to think not of a baby merely that was born and laid in a manger but a baby who grew up, who was God then, who is God when He lived, God when He died, so to speak, on the cross, and a God now. And I want you to think about Jesus Christ. And I want you to pretend for just a moment that you were like those that were dissing the Lord by betting for His clothes. Or maybe some of you could say, I too should have been up on a cross because I was the sinner. I deserve to, to be judged and condemned. But now I want you to go to that a picture of the Lord in your mind, and I want you to remember the words of Jesus when he says, He that believes on me has everlasting life. Listen loudly as the gavel comes down, and Jesus says to you, Forgive them, Father, for they didn't know what they were doing. It was an ignorance. And now they are in their full mind to trust you. Now, please, my friend, would you now simply say to the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I come to you without any good deeds and I'm placing my childlike faith in Jesus Christ and thanking you for the full forgiveness of my sin that you promised once I trusted you as the Lord who died and rose again. Please do that because that is the door, Jesus, that will open up now to give you all that pertains to godliness, to live this life, to make it through as a thriver and not a survivor. Is there anyone in here with the heads bowed and eyes closed that just would prefer that a pastor might pray with you? And so in a moment, I'll ask you to slip up your hand if you want to do it right now, immediately. And when I pray for you, I won't have you come forward. You won't stand up. You won't have to raise your hand. I won't describe you in my prayer so people know who you are. God knows I'm just going to take you as a hand that I saw raised to the Lord. Me praying for you won't save you. Walking in aisle won't save you. Raising a hand won't save you. But in your heart of hearts, if you're transferring your trust in Christ alone, I'd like to pray for you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, is there anyone that says, today's the day that I'm going to receive the assurance of my salvation on the authority of God's word and what Jesus said to me as a God who cannot lie, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior forever. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? God bless you, my friend. Anyone else? Never done it before. All right. Those of you who, whether you raised your hand or not, if you want to communicate, you have a communication card in the worship folder. We receive the offering. We don't want your money. God will take care of us through uh, believers. But if you want to communicate to us, let us know on that card. But for the rest of you, how many of you right now are putting the Lord back first in your life? And you're realizing that all these truths I receive when I trust in Christ, but I want them activated in my life in a real way where I don't have to have the fear that I've had before. And so I'm now going to believe these and own these for the fullness of God and release Him in my life. How many of you would like to have prayers? You go through this season for that in a very special way that God ministered to you and you'd like for me. Would you slip up your hand? I'd like to pray for you. I'd, be, I'd like to do that. Amen. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I know this is kind of heavy truth. For some others, it's a great reminder. And we like to do that. We need to be reminded. Paul said that. Peter said that. Therefore, Father, we need to remember these truths. But Father, right now, I lift up this one who, with an uplifted hand, indicated that they were trusting you as Savior. Now, Father, you know in their heart of hearts whether they've truly trusted you alone to be their Savior. Or maybe just today, they've done it before, but now they've got the assurance that nothing will separate them from your love, and they have the assurance of it. I pray that they would get a Bible and read it, not a, a little book about the Bible, but really get a good study Bible and begin to read it every day as a love letter from you. I pray that they'd talk to you in prayer, not little stilted, now I lay me down to sleep speeches, but a real child to a father conversation. For Father, your ear is inclined toward them. You want to hear their heart. And so Lord, I pray they'd speak to you as a dependent child upon a very benevolent Father. I pray that they would begin to fellowship with other Christians. And Lord, I'm thankful for the Christians in this church that are humble and yet teachable. and They want to learn. and They love other people. They love you. And so, Lord, I pray that our guests that are here would find this church a genuine church filled with the love of God. Genuine, spiritual aloha. And then, Father, I pray that we'll never forget that it's not about us. It is about you. And you came for other people. And so we need to tell other people about you. So... I pray for that person and for all of us that we would confess by our life and by our lips the simple plan of salvation found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray all of this as we head into a season that's filled with the potential for joy to go to the world. In your name we pray, amen.
0: or you can mail your gift to make it clear PO box 607901 Orlando Florida 32860 Thank you for helping us make it clear If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event please send us an email at tell me more at makeitclear.org Thank you and remember to make it clear